Welcome to Navigating Change, everybody, the podcast from Tybal Inc. I'm Pete Wright, and I'm here with the talented Gail Gregory. Hello, Gail. Hey, Pete. I love that we're doing this. Me too. Howard wasn't even invited. No, he wasn't. Let's not tell him, though. Didn't even tell him. Since he doesn't listen to the show because he thinks he's on every episode, he'll never even know we did it. He, he, he. <laughs> we, uh, we're going to be talking about presentation skills, and we've got clips and commentary and all sorts of good stuff coming up. But before we get into that, you can find out more about Navigating Change at Tybalink.com, or you can subscribe to the show by email uh, in iTunes or your podcast app of choice, and find us on Twitter and LinkedIn, all that directly from Tybalink.com. We appreciate you uh, joining the conversation there. But this week, uh, we're talking all about presentations, and we're doing this because of your experience uh, each year going into the Nakubo conference with the Nakubo Speakers Corner. The whole intent, so check me when I start lying, the whole intent of okay. this is to, <laughs> is to help prepare folks to hit the stage at Nakubo. For people who are giving presentations, we want them to give their very best presentation that they possibly can. Am I right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so it's so it's to I think it's to um, enhance the audience experience as well as the speaker experience. You know, they want the speakers to feel successful and feel this is a really positive experience uh, and want to do it again. And then, of course, the better the presentation, the, the better experience it is for the audience. Right. The better reviews, the more likely people are to come back and see these pre- presenters again. It, it's exactly. the, the virtuous cycle. So exactly. what are the kinds of things that you run into in Speaker's Corner? The kinds of questions, uh, if you could summarize sort of the bucket of questions that you get, uh, you know, as you're we're working with speakers getting ready for the stage? I think they're probably a, a good way to put the buckets is is the way that we've set up the webcast this year where um, there could be questions on, I, I don't know how to get started or, you know, how can I really make my presentation focus on my audience? Uh, or, okay, I've made my presentation, but, you know, do you have feedback on how it could be better? And that could be related to um, the the visuals or or the content and then finally related to the ex- to the delivery itself you know how can i make th- the best delivery how can i connect with my audience uh, what about my introduction what about my closing uh, those types of things so it really it really runs the gamut but i would say in terms of three buckets it's creating revising delivering all right. Well, we, we're going to start uh, walking through some sample presentations uh, that we have, we have called together and, and share some of our thoughts on those presentations. Where would you like to start? Oh, should we start with the worst or the best? Uh, what do you think, Pete? I think let's start with the worst. Let's go ahead and set the bar as low as we possibly can. <laughs> okay. So then, um, you know, let's go with, uh, we can play a bit of the worst presentation ever from Tip, Trip and Tyler. Quadruple checking notes as people file in, getting the computer ready, and asking everyone to take a seat. Pretending to click something on the computer to cover up the fact that I don't know what to do with myself. Arriving just in time. Wrapping up our conversation about a popular TV show we watched last night. Disdain for a popular TV show. <clears throat> Mediocre icebreaker joke. That doesn't quite land. Um, attempt to redeem myself by making fun of that guy. <laughs> <laughs> laughing at that guy. <laughs> laughing because he's laughing and I like him. <laughs> Not laughing and now checking out for the rest of the session. Title, dramatic pause of my presentation. 
Question about how long this session will last? Annoyed vague response. Exaggerated eye roll. Poignant quote from unknown philosopher to kick off presentation in dramatic fashion. You know what I love about that one is it's your how it's inside the person's mind. You know, the, the thoughts that the person's having as they're in front of the room. You know, I'm playing with my laptop. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what to say. So I, I love how it gets us inside the heads of the participants and um, and the presenter. And, and I think that that's um, one of the problems that people run into is when they're too much inside their head where it's all about them and it's not about what's happening with the audience or how they're connecting with the audience. There's kind of that loop going on inside your head and you you really can't give a good presentation if you're stuck inside your head. So that's really what resonated with that one about me. You know, for me, the the piece that I think I really picked up was when we go back to the audience reaction, right? We get the same sort of experience where the audience, we're in the audience's head, uh, but I love how they communicated the virality of response in the audience, that you have one person who's talking about a TV show and laughing and another person laughing at, at them laughing. And you you really get to see that sort of network effect of how we feel about a presentation as it, as it moves through the audience. And I, I think that's a real lesson we can learn for presenters uh, to just be aware of, of how one interaction with one person in the audience can really have an impact on everybody in the audience before too long. Yeah. And you know, and you can do that obviously in a, in a positive way as well. Um, you know, once you get one person contributing, one person with a comment, one person who answers your question, it just kind of builds on, e on, on each other. And um, a way that I found, and, and I want to hear what you think about this, Pete, a way that I've found to help myself with that is when you look out on your audience, um, there are, you know, they're the people that are smiling and that are engaged. And then there are the people who are kind of, oh, they could go either way. And then there's the folks who are, you know, they're, they're stuck in their iPad or they're just, they are, you know, they're really, really, really not present at all. And what can sometimes happen is you can kind of yourself, feel yourself kind of, again, inside your head, like, why is that person staring at their iPad? Why are they on their phone? You know, why are they texting? Why aren't they paying attention? And you kind of focus on that. Whereas if you focus on those smilers and you start building off of that, that virality, as you put it, spreads from the smilers to the the ones that are kind of on the fence. You may or may not ever get those iPad people to join you, but don't worry about them. Focus on the positive and how you can build on that throughout your presentation. I absolutely agree. I think one of that's that's a key lesson, and I think it's something that many uh, presenters uh, forget, which is likely you alone are not going to be able to turn the tide for the individual bit of poison that's sitting in the audience, right? The one person who's there because they have to be there or because they know it's they're going to get a CEU out of it or, or mm -hmm. whatever. Yeah. You, It is a rare presenter that can just wave a magic wand and turn that person around. But if you engage the people who are really positive and really supporting uh, uh, your message and want to hear from you, uh, they're the ones who might be able to, to help turn that around through their energy and, and their positive responses to you. Right. And, you know, um, this actually reminds me of our, our next, the clip I want to talk about next, and how one way to really grab your audience is through through the use of stories and and most effectively through um, a personal story. And if I could just kind of set up the background on this one that I'll have you play next, it's Amy Cuddy um, at TED. And 
Amy, um, you may know of her work. She's the woman behind um, power posing. You know, that idea that if you pose for two minutes, like in a Wonder Woman or, or this powerful stance before a job interview or before a presentation, that by, simply by doing that, it really impacts your your body and your reaction, which can ultimately change your results. So, so it's a great TED Talk just, just from that in terms of the content. But near the end of it, Pete, she starts um, sharing why this is so meaningful to her, to her this, this ability to change how you feel. And she shares how she, has, she was in a, a very terrible car accident. And when she woke up, uh, she had a significant head injury that impacted her IQ. She had very uh, much uh, identified herself as being a smart person. And then about how she uh, ends up getting to college and kind of turns things around. So um, anyway, if you want to just play this clip, we can see how she really um, engages the audience through this personal story and through emotion. Eventually, I graduated from college. It took me four years longer than my peers. And I convinced someone, my, my angel uh, advisor, Susan Fisk, to take me on. And so I ended up at Princeton, and I was like, I am not supposed to be here. I am an imposter. And the night before my first year talk, and the first year talk at Princeton is a 20-minute talk to 20 people. That's it. I was so afraid of being found out the next day that I called her and said, I'm quitting. She was like, you are not quitting because I took a gamble on you and you're staying. You're gonna stay and this is what you're gonna do. You're gonna fake it. You're gonna take, you're gonna do every talk that you ever get asked to do. You're just gonna do it and do it and do it, even if you're terrified and just paralyzed and having an out-of-body experience until you have this moment where you say, oh my gosh, I'm doing it. Like, I have become this. I am actually doing this. So that's what I did. Five years in grad school. A few years, you know, I'm at Northwestern, I moved to Harvard. I'm at Harvard, I'm not really thinking about it anymore, but for a long time I had been thinking, not supposed to be here, not supposed to be here. So the end of my first year at Harvard, um, a student who had not talked in class the entire semester, who I had said, look, you've got to participate or else you're going to fail, came into my office. I really didn't know her at all. And she said, she came in totally defeated, and she said, I'm not supposed to be here. And that was the moment for me because two things happened. One was that I realized, oh my gosh, I don't feel like that anymore. <laughs> you know, I don't feel that anymore, but she does, and I get that feeling. And the second was, she is supposed to be here. Like, she can fake it, she can become it. So I was like, yes, you are. You are supposed to be here, and tomorrow you're gonna fake it, you're gonna make yourself powerful, and you know, you're gonna. <laughs> okay, there's so many things that I love about that in. in how it shows that when you're real and when you're really bearing yourself to your audience, that they are with you. The way that that audience clapped for her when she got through that story, um, you know, that your audience, for the most part, they're rooting for you. And by the way, she got a standing ovation at the very end of of that. Um, But she was able to tell us why this was so important to us. She was, and you could tell, like, she, she, there was a point, um, if you watch the video, you point, there's a point where she can't speak because she's trying to um, get control of that emotion. But she does. And um, it just made the her point that much more powerful and you saw how the audience responded to that.
It, it is a beautiful example of that. Uh, just her ability to connect with the audience in a real and authentic way. I think it is is really powerful. Can we look at, at a, I don't know if I want to characterize this as a, a non-example, uh, but uh, maybe a counterexample. I want to get sure. your thoughts on, on Elon Musk. Now, you know who Elon Musk is. Yep. Okay. Elon Musk is CEO of Tesla. He's he's our very own uh, Tony Stark. He's an inventor, <laughs> impresario, and and sort of uh, he's, he is the guy who is missing whatever it is that many of us have in our brains that tell us, hey, that's a crazy idea. You should not do that. He's missing that gene. He, he says, that's a crazy <laughs> idea. I think I'm going to do it and do it all. Uh, and, and so here's Elon Musk debuting uh, the Powerwall in a keynote speak uh, speech last week. What we're here to talk about is the solution. I actually think it's really a fairly obvious solution, but it's something that we need to, to do. Uh, and the solution is in two parts. Part one, the sun. <laughs> we, we have, <laughs> we have this, this handy fusion reactor in the sky called the sun. Okay? <laughs> you don't have to do anything. It just works. <laughs> Shows up every day and produces ridiculous amounts of power. Okay, the, now a lot of people aren't clear on, on how much surface area is needed to generate enough power to, to completely get the United States off of fossil fuels. I mean, people really, most people have no idea. They think that it must be some huge amount of area, like maybe you need these satellites in space and like space solar power. If anyone should be in favor of space solar power, it should be me. Um, <laughs> But, but, but this is completely unnecessary <laughs> because actually very little land is needed to, 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 power, to, to get rid of all fossil fuel uh, electricity generation in the United States. That blue square there is the, is, the, is the land area that's needed to transition the United States to a zero carbon electricity situation. Really Did you find hard. yourself having that same experience that you had with Amy Cuddy uh, while listening to Elon Musk just now? You know, I had a little bit of a different experience, um, and I've um, and I've heard, uh, I think I've heard this one before. And first of all, I think it's there's a difference between when you see someone live, and when you see someone and you can see their face, and when you're just hearing a clip. And I think um, I bet he was extraordinary live. Um, and when I saw the clip of it, he has a really great engaging face that really kind of brings the audience in. I initially had this kind of reaction to that um, that giggle that he did where it was a little bit unsettling to me. Right. But what I, upon reflection, Pete, what he brings, which is a great, great thing for people to bring. So this is kind of an example and a non-example is the passion. Right. Right. And I think that that really gets to it for me, too. And I, yeah. I was surprised when I read, started reading headlines, this from The Verge, the, the day it was uh, that he delivered it, which was just on May 1st. I mean, it was just a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. um, watch Elon Musk announce Tesla Energy in the best tech keynote I have ever seen from the uh, editorialist T.C. Sotek. I thought that headline at first watch was a bit over the top. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, I've seen a lot of tech keynotes, and and this one didn't strike me as particularly powerful for a few reasons. One, he, he feels very awkward on stage. He doesn't yeah. feel like he's terribly comfortable on stage. But part of his gift is his ability to turn that awkwardness into uh, affinity or affability. Like we sort of like him, like we like Kermit the Frog when Kermit is struggling <laughs> with something. You know, there's a gentleness or a softness that he brings to to his sense of kind of stage awkwardness. But what also comes through is his confidence. He is dead sure that this is the right solution for our power problems. And what you don't see at the end, the little blue speck he's talking about is a little dot on a map of the United States that's right in the middle of the United States, right at the tip of Texas. And it's a very, very small dot. And he's sort of illustrating the the scope of what he's trying to capture and what it would require of this country. And it is, in his mind, the way he's presenting it, there is no other answer than what he is presenting on stage. And I think that ends up being uh, a, a powerful kind of uh, skill that he is bringing to his presentation, as, as awkward as his sort of cadence becomes. Yes, and I, I think that's it. That's what I was thinking. As I said, the, the passion, the belief in what he's saying, and and he makes the audience believe it too. And I bet also being being there live goes back to that virality thing that you spoke of uh, at the beginning of the of the show, where I'm sure there was the collective energy of watching him and hearing what he was talking about and the potential impact of what he was talking to really um, added to that experience. But I do also think he has kind of an endearing, you know, uh, her, a Kermit quality and a really endearing quality. And he's very, uh, very authentic. And I think that that gives all of us kind of something to to feel good about that you know when we watch these spectacular keynotes and we take some tips away from them we may say oh gosh you know but i'm i'm not like that person you don't have to be like that person what you really have to be is the best version of yourself and i think that that's what what he brought to that presentation i think that's probably why he got the feedback that he did I think so too. It's that the power of being able to tell your own story, and I yeah. think that that's a really wonderful one. You know, I had just one more clip on that, on that front, and I'm I'm interested in getting your your take on that. That is from uh, from the good John Green, author of uh, Fault in Our Stars and Paper Town. Um, he's uh, he is one of the co-founders of the Nerd Fighters. He is a and one of the Vlog Brothers. If you're not familiar with YouTube, he and his brother, scientist Hank Green, uh, they send videos to each other through YouTube every Tuesday and Friday. And sometimes they're educating on the economy of uh, some sub-Saharan nation. And sometimes they're talking about, uh, you know, they're doing strange athletic events against one another at a family reunion. But either way, <laughs> they have done an incredible job at building uh, a community through story. And here is just a little bit of John Green on stage at TEDx Indianapolis. Zay isn't just a great public intellectual, he's also a brilliant community builder, and the community of people that built up around these videos was in many ways a community of learners. So we played Zay Frank at chess collaboratively and we beat him. Uh, we organized ourselves to take a young man on a road trip across the United States. We turned the earth into a sandwich by having one person hold a piece of bread at one point on the earth and on the exact opposite point of the earth have another person holding a piece of bread. I realize that these are silly ideas, but they are also learny ideas. 
And that was what was so exciting to me. And if you go online, you can find communities like this all over the place. Follow the calculus tag on Tumblr, and yes, you will see people complaining about calculus. But you'll also see people reblogging those complaints, making the argument that calculus is interesting and beautiful, and here's a way into thinking about the problem that you find unsolvable. You can go to places like Reddit and find subreddits, like Ask, Ask a Historian or Ask Science, where you can ask people who are in these fields a wide range of questions, from very serious ones to very silly ones. But to me, the most interesting communities of learners that are growing up on the internet right now are on YouTube, and admittedly, I am biased. Uh, One of the things I like so much about John Green is that he is, he is cool in an internet era. Uh, he, is, he is a nerd, and he celebrates education and intelligence in a way that I, I think we, we are seeing is rather divisive uh, these days. But what I love about his presentation style and the rather rapid kind of cadence that he brings to the table is that, uh, you know, he, his speaking style alone is engaging. It brings you into the power of his story. It makes you think about the really crazy thing that he just said a few seconds ago, but has now moved on from the idea of having a piece of bread on one side of the planet and another piece on the other side. For many of, of I think, our audience even might find that a, a rather ridiculous exercise. But you have to remember, he did this by engaging thousands, tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of people uh, through his stories on his YouTube channel. And that is a really powerful communication skill. Yeah, you know, you can tell that he's a storyteller. Yeah. Um, and I agree with you about the cadence of his voice. Um, sometimes people who speak quickly, it's, it's hard to understand them. Or you even find... Um, that it's it's a show of nervousness that as people get get nervous throughout their presentation their voice gets faster and faster and their breath gets faster and faster or or shallower and but that's not the case with him it that sounds very natural and um and kind of part of this part of the story part of you follow along um you go and see the bouncing ball to his to the cadence of his voice yeah i i thought that was terrific pete what uh, let's uh, let's look at some uh, let's talk a little bit about enthusiasm <laughs> <laughs> i'm just laughing thinking about some of the clips we have about enthusiasm um and enthusiasm is it's so important and i think that um, the three clips that we've showed uh, or that we've listened to so far show the speaker's enthusiasm about their topic, and but they're unique in in how they how they um, how they display it. But regardless of how you display enthusiasm, you do want to bring it with you. You don't want to be that uh, Bueller Bueller anyone. Um, you don't want to be that person. And, um, but it has to be real to you. Um, and you want to be careful that, um, that, that maybe it's not too much you. Yeah, and, right. This is, I, I think that is, that's the key point for me is that your energy, you, you know, we, we have this thing around our house where, you know, we, when, when the kids, you know, interrupt or do something crazy in the middle of a kind of inappropriate situation, we, we always step back and say, okay, read the room, read the room guys. <laughs> I read love the room, that. right? And and so here my eight-year-old is like, he, he does one of two things. He's either reading the room or he puts his fist up like uh, J.K. Simmons does in Whiplash. He says, okay, not my tempo, not my tempo, <laughs> right? So that's a really important lesson. And I think we have two clips here that is uh, that, that really demonstrate 
you know that the art of reading the room. Shall we start with the uh, the political one or uh, the motivational one? Um, let's start with the political one. All right, political one. That's it. It's a it's a quickie. Yes. Well, you guys, you have already got the picture here. I, I was about to say, you know, I, I'm sure there's some disappointed people here. You know what? You know something? You know something? If you had told us one year ago that we were going to come in third in Iowa, we would have given anything for that. And you know something? You know something? Not only are we going to New Hampshire, Tom Harkin, we're going to South Carolina and Oklahoma and Arizona and North Dakota and New Mexico. We're going to California and Texas and New York. And we're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Yeah! Obviously, that was Howard Dean speaking to a caucus in Iowa. And uh, that uh, there at the very end was the the scream that sank a campaign. Yeah, you know, I had a couple of thoughts about that one, Pete. First of all, I I I got I was starting to get anxious as <laughs> as his voice was getting louder and louder about the different states. First of all, I'm thinking, is he going to say them all? What if he forgets <laughs> someone? Because that's what I would do. I would get to 48. You know, what about the right. two you forget? Right. Um, but I, I think. It was, he was almost okay. Yes. It was almost okay. And then just, whoa, went right over the line. That's right. That's when enthusiasm got the better of him. I actually really like the the sort of list of, of states. I like the way he engaged Tom Harkin. I like the excitement and enthusiasm. And he's really with the crowd. And in that case, he's really reading the room. And then uh, he has the, the scream. And, and I personally don't have much of a problem with it. But now listening to it with the benefit of hindsight it's uh it it just it it falls out of cadence it falls out of the story and it brings us out of the story it feels like he's hurt himself a little bit and uh and i can see how that that changed the tone because it gave people something else to focus on besides the message right and you know i i say so many times to people the audience is rooting for you the audience is rooting for you in politics let's face it they're really not they're really so, not yeah so they're they're looking for uh, for that uh that slip up but um i wonder if we could look at at some of the experiences that you've had specifically at nakubo though in this in this kind of frame of reference what are some some of the really great experiences that you've seen uh, on the nakubo stage i have to say Allison Levine, uh, last year's Nakubo, one of her, one of the keynote speakers, remains one of my all time favorites. Why and, is that? And I think it was so many things, Pete. It's some of it is about what you said in terms of how her her content. I reflect on it to this day. There, there are things that I'll do, and, and she pops into my head in terms of inspiring, uh, being inspiring and how I can live my life in a different way. Um, for those of you who don't know who Alison Levine is, she uh, is a woman who has climbed uh, many mountains, Mount Everest being one of them. And so she shares, she is now a motivational speaker, and she talked about her experiences in terms of preparing and climbing Mount Everest and tied them into um, how we live our, our personal lives or how we uh, function at work. And it really, really uh, resonated with me, the content. And then also, because anytime I see a presentation, I'm also looking for um, 
tips or, or how how they delivered well or or how they used movement or or what have you. And Allison is a small person. She's a, a, a very small stature. And a keynote stage is very big. And I got to tell you, she rocked it. She owned that stage piece, Pete, the way she moved about it. Um, she came across as a very, um, as a, as a huge presence uh, on a huge spade, uh, stage and she is a, a small person. So that is one of the ones that I love. I, uh, you know, you got me thinking about one that I think was, was really powerful. And when I was in, in college, uh, I had the great benefit of seeing Arthur Miller um, speak. Arthur Miller's obviously a playwright, author, uh, wrote Death of a Salesman. And, and he came to the, um, to the theater school where I was uh, attending college and, and spoke. And one of the things that I thought was so powerful about, about, uh, Arthur Miller, um, uh, and he didn't move a lot, but he was an, he was an older guy. I mean, he pretty much mm-hmm. sat on stage in a black box. So we didn't get that benefit of movement, but what we did get was the benefit of experience. And one of the things that he did was wrap up his, you know his take on the theater and his take on on current events um, uh, in a way that so brilliantly um, connected to his past and to our cultural past, to living through the depression and to living through that massive cultural change. Uh, you know, post World War II, uh, as he was struggling in New York to to figure out how to how to make a living, and and these soldiers are coming home uh, from the war by you know the millions. Uh, it was an unbelievable experience that allowed me to really resonate in my present with his history. And I think his ability to make that connection for me uh, from the stage was an incredibly powerful lesson. Use, use your history, use your experience to make your presentation that much more powerful. Yeah, I think that's that's a great point, Pete. You know, take us beyond the facts and figures and how did – how. Um, do these things impact you personally? What are your personal insights? Um, how can you personally connect it to yourself? And then so that I can personally connect it to me. Right. Um, yeah, I, I, that's, that's, that's a good one. We have, um, we have one more clip uh, before we, uh, as we wrap up. Do you want to talk about Rick Elias? Yes. Um, this is one of those, again, really impacted me personally. He was on... Um, the flight, uh, the flight number escapes me because it was kind of seared in our brains, brains when it happened. The uh, fifteen forty nine. There you go. I knew you'd know, Pete. Um, <laughs> Captain Scully's flight, right? Right. Or Sully, Sully. Excuse Sully, me. Yeah. Uh, the flight that landed, um, landed in the in the Hudson River, and so uh, Rick is at uh, a TED, and it's just a five minute. The whole thing is only five minutes. We won't play you the whole thing, but it it's that. It tells us what he learned from being on that plane and, and thinking he was going to die. And so it's the three things that he learned when his plane crashed. Well, I had a unique seat that day. I was sitting in 1D. I was the only one who could talk to the flight attendants. So I looked at them right away, and they said, no problem. We probably hit some birds. The pilot had already turned the plane around, and we weren't that far. You could see Manhattan. Two minutes later... Three things happen at the same time. The pilot lines up the plane with the Hudson River. It's usually not the route. (laughs) He turns off the engines. Now imagine being on a plane with no sound. And then he says three words, as unemotional three words as I've ever heard. He says, brace for impact. I didn't have to talk to the flight attendant anymore. (laughs) 
I could see in her eyes. It was terror. Life was over. And I want to share with you three things I learned about myself that day. I learned that it all changes in an instant. We have this bucket list. We have these things we want to do in life. And I thought about all the people I wanted to reach out that I didn't. All the fences I wanted to mend. All the experiences I wanted to have and I never did. As I thought about that, later on I came up with a saying, which is, I collect bad wines. What's your reaction to that, Pete? Well, it's an incredibly powerful uh, story that he is telling, and it's, it really strikes a chord because we have all experienced, you know, air, you know, many of us have experienced air travel, and I, you know, I certainly have experienced that feeling of, oh my goodness, that turbulence is going to lead to something worse. Like, I'm, I'm not a great flyer. Uh, but when he says brace for impact and, and holds on that beat, that's, that is, you know, my heart skips a beat. Yes. I, I've heard this clip, uh, so many times cause I, I really, cause I love it and I find it very inspiring. And every time I hear that my heart kind of stops and I, my breath stops and I, I know he's okay. He's telling he's the story. He's standing right there. He made it. We know how this ends. <laughs> But I am right there in the moment with him. And, um, and it's also like, he, I, I thought his, you know, his use of pause, it's just, it's, it, um, it's just a really great way to tell the story. And, but he's also managing to tell it in, in also kind of a funny way. Um, yeah. because you notice how the, how the audience laughs. I never laugh. <laughs> when I listen to it. <laughs> but I wonder if it's almost like there's there's so much tension as they're hearing him that then they you know then they all laugh at certain points. But Well, um, isn't that a lesson in itself, right? I mean, he builds up the tension with this story and then leaves long enough beats that you're not sure what to do. Uh when he says, you know, and the pilot lines up with the Hudson River, it's not usually the route. What do you do then but laugh? <laughs> like there's no what you know. <laughs> <laughs> your empty silence and uh and and it ends up making for a really nice uh moment that breaks that tension and allows yeah. you to not to get too overwhelmed in in what is otherwise uh, could be a, a really terrifying story right right um do we have time for me to just tell a, a, a real quick story about um it when you said breaking the tension it it reminded me of it sure um it also relates to the idea that we can we can plan and plan and plan and practice and and be all ready for our presentation and there are things that are beyond our control. And I recently was at the Ecubo workshop and it was the last session of the day, um, and it was the president uh, Kurt Steinberg from the Mass College of Art and Design, and he was doing you know great talk. It was everything was fine, and the, in the room next door, Pete, it was crazy. I've never heard anything like it. Like a, like a party or like or a party, like, like, like it, it, Mardi Gras. Were, yes. Like Mardi Gras. Thank you. That's, that's the description <laughs> yeah, or like a revival or something where there were people singing, they were cheering, they were dancing. It was outrageous. And um, so we're all kind of sitting there as he's continuing this presentation and we're all kind of looking at each other and next door is getting louder and louder and nobody really knows what to do. And it was really kind of tense. And all of a sudden he just stopped and he looked towards the wall and he said something to the effect of like, well, I don't, I don't think I'm going to get that kind of reaction when I'm done. And it was just, <laughs> it was so funny 
And we all just laughed. And the tension was broken. We were all now on the same side. We were rooting for him. We gave him a standing ovation at the end. It was the best recovery, the best dealing with stuff you can't control that I've seen. So um, I just I just wanted to slip that one in there as well. Well, that is a fine example of uh, breaking the old tension. Uh, I, you know, this has been a good conversation. I think we we covered some really good points: use of movement, breaking tension, use of enthusiasm, reading the room, uh, <laughs> you know, using your body and using your stories, your personal experience, uh, to to make your present experience that much more powerful. We are going to be posting, uh, we'll post links to all of these uh, clips in the show notes uh, at tidalink.com, uh, along with, let's see, we have some other, uh, one other article that we, that you posted here in our show notes, delivery tips from TED, uh, written f- tips from the TED speaker coaches, uh, which we'll post in there. Do you have any uh, setup commentary before we say goodbye? I don't think so, Pete. I, I've enjoyed this. Um, this is my third podcast with you, right, Pete? Yes, it is. So is it is it when I do six I get the steak knives? When do I get those? <laughs> yeah, I was promised yeah. steak knives. You were promised steak knives. That's right. Well, it's yes. Uh, I'm I'm sure we have I'm sure we have a process for that. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure <laughs> yes, somebody has some a process. Sort of form. There, I think there's a form and there's a do not reply email address. You'll get a you'll get a note from from the <laughs> uh, gift administrator. Excellent. Yes. Uh, right, thank Pete. you so much, Gail Gregory, for uh, joining the show. And, and I'm, I'm hoping that three, uh, you know, is just the start of many, many more. Me too. All Me right. too. Thanks, right. everybody, for downloading and listening. And um, again, make sure to find us at TypeLink.com. Uh, search for and download the show. Subscribe for free in iTunes. Uh, and make sure you don't miss a single episode because you never know when a gem like this very show is just going to show up. And it may just pass you by if you're not subscribing. So thanks, everybody. We'll catch you next week on Navigating Change. Thank you.